Ticket Water Cooler. Brought to you by Culligan of Lincoln on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. We're back here on the Ticket Water Cooler, of course, just thinking mostly about Husker football and uh, leading up to the season. There's some other things going on, too, but not too much. I mean, this is the week the ESPYs are on Wednesday. Major League Baseball is in break, aren't they? Yeah, it's a home run derby tonight. The derby's already tonight? The home run derby is tonight, Bach. Albert are we Pujols be... out there? Yeah, Albert Pujols is there. Um, Pete Alonso, Julio Rodriguez, Juan Soto. Um, after he turns down 440 mil after <laughs> or over 14 years, which is just mind boggling. Why did he turn that down? So I don't know. Like, there's this. He just doesn't want to play in Washington. I, I don't. I think it's uh, every rep- or article kind of sounds like he doesn't like management in Washington uh, right now. The from their 2018 World Series roster, only he and Victor Robles remain on the roster. Um, so it's I guess Steven Strasburg's there, but like. He doesn't pitch because they mismanaged his his body, kind of. Um, but they dealt, you know, Trey Turner. They gave him away for nothing. They gave away Max Scherzer for nothing. They like everything's not Arenado or not Arenado. Um, Anthony Rendon is gone. So so it's like that whole thing. But also, here's what I one real quick. They offered him four hundred forty million over fourteen years. Just in twenty twenty one, when Fernando Tatis agreed to a deal. He agreed to 340 mil over 10 years. So it's like you look at this value of money, also, you're going to get more and more. So, like, what, if he what's, waits. what's smarter for the players, honestly, is to I understand that you want this stability. You want this these assurances right. that you're going to you be get hurt tomorrow. Exactly. You could retire tomorrow and you're going to have guaranteed money. Yeah. But it's like I understand you want this uh, assurances and stability of having a 10, a 14 year contract, whatever it may be. But. It actually would help you out better if you got a six-year deal for X number of million dollars, right? 150 mil, 220 mil, whatever, over six or seven years. And then you'd also be able... Like, Juan Soto is extremely young. I think he's 22, if that. I don't even know if he's that old. He's going to be close to... He's going to be near still in his prime, possibly, that's crazy. If he signed a five-year deal, because he's going to be twenty-seven years old, so you sit here and you're like, you're gonna, you could still be in your prime. That's why Mike Trout's getting so much money still, and, and like, because these guys, they're starting so early. Like Wander Franco, once like he signed a ten-year deal, but once once he's done, he's going to be thirty-one years old or nineteen or twenty-nine years old. I can't remember. So it's like you're 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 kind of helping yourself in the future if you only sign a five or a six-year deal. Worth still a couple hundred mil, but then it helps you out because you're going to be signing another contract in your prime. Or if you suck and you completely just fell off the face of the earth, then you still got three hundred million out of your six years. Yeah, I mean, and it's all weird too. I mean, you don't have a salary cap in baseball, so you're not like you're not restricting your team exactly. But at the same time, you know that only so many markets could take on that contract, so you're definitely restricting. Like if you get frustrated when somebody you know, want to play somewhere else yeah. it's going to be you know finding a trade partner might be a little difficult exactly that's the, that's the problem like if they sign Juan Soto to a 14 year deal it's the same problem that the Cubs are going through right now with Jason Hayward they signed Jason Hayward to this massive deal on the back end of his prime after as a free agent signed a, a massive 10 year deal 
And it was like great at the time because Jason Hayward is in the back end of his prime. But now he's not good. Like Jason Hayward is not the right fielder that or the, the baseball player that he used to be. But nobody will take his contract. So then you see teams having to do what the the Rockies did for Arenado last year with the with the Cardinals, or the Cubs did yet last year with Rizzo, where they have to pay, they trade the guy, but then they have to pay the remainder of his contract nonetheless. It, they they yeah. just pay the guy. So it's like you're getting screwed kind of either way if you're if you're a franchise. So the the ten year deals, like I get that it's job security basically and it's more money, but it really doesn't help you out for in, in your future. Yeah, and so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I do always like the, the home run derby, though. It's yeah. probably the highlight of All-Star. It's not weekend, just All-Star week, I suppose, uh, for Major League Baseball. Um, is, it, is it next weekend they do the, the game? or is Tomorrow. It tomorrow's the game. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's kind of weird. And in I any think, case. I think. Nah, that makes sense. It just seems like, you know, I'm thinking about the other you know, main, you know, league games are usually on weekends, but that is, I, I feel like baseball is usually on a Tuesday, right? Yeah, tomorrow at 7 p.m. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Name a better baseball day than Tuesday. <laughs> what better day is there to watch baseball <laughs> I guess. than a Tuesday evening I mean, they, at 7 p.m.? They kind of all blend together, I suppose, for, for baseball. Because if you're watching baseball, it's a pretty good time. It's the uh, Midsummer Classic. There you go. Uh, let's quickly review Rutgers. We're counting down to Big Ten Media Days, which is uh, about a week and a few days away. Uh, and we've gone through – now we're going through Nebraska's schedule opponent by opponent. And uh, we're coming up to Rutgers. Rutgers plays Nebraska October 7th, a Friday – and what is planned to be a blackout there at High Point Solutions Stadium uh, in uh, East Rutherford near, near uh, Rutgers. That's right. No, they're Piscataway. Piscataway, Piscataway yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is uh, – uh, there's a few different ways to look at this. Obviously, a lot of people have respect for Greg Schiano, mm-hmm. and he has improved their record in his first two seasons back, but they're not – necessarily popping off and doing too well. Rutgers has come off a 5-8 and eight season, highlighted by actually pushing Michigan uh, to a 20-13 loss to open up conference play, if you remember last year. And we didn't know who Michigan was at that time, um, but uh, we w- might have been more impressed with Rutgers than we were the rest of the year. Rutgers then lost to Ohio State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Penn State, Maryland, and Wake Forest. Uh, those were teams that beat them down by an average of 31 points. Six of their losses were also had an embarrassing 14-point loss to Northwestern, which mm-hmm. nobody else lost to Northwestern last year in the Big Ten, yeah. uh, but did score some wins on the road against Illinois and Indiana. So um, while most of it was not looking pretty, uh, those are some solid victories, I suppose. Rutgers' first bowl game last year, uh, they went to the bowl game. Uh, remember, they replaced a team that sat out due to COVID, I believe, um, and uh Got destroyed by Wake Forest. They yeah, shouldn't I, have been played in the Gator Bowl. I believe they, they took over for Texas A&M. That sounds right, yeah. Um, and so regardless, I mean, it, it was, <laughs> they probably didn't deserve it, um, but they had a good graduation yeah. rate, so they were the first team that was asked. And so they made their first bowl game since 2014. Like I said, they've been they've been increasing their win total the last four years. They, they had one win four years ago, two the next year, and then under Shiano now three and five. And uh, it's worth noting that Shano didn't have winning seasons until year five, his first time around at Rutgers. Uh, he would finish with winning seasons in six of his final seven uh, seasons there at Rutgers before taking the Bucks job in the NFL in 2012. So uh, he's back to, to building Rutgers back up. It's in a bit of a transition. Doesn't look like Noah Vedral is going to be the starter. He started for two years. 
Um, it was uh, kind of considered a lot of people figured, OK, well, now he's going to probably move into a grad assistant role. Mm-hmm. Well, they put that off for, for a while, maybe for depth there or for a backup plan in case Gavin Wimsett does not work out. It seems like Gavin Wimsett is set to be the quarterback there. He's got a dual threat ability. They hope can spark the offense that only averaged 19.7 points per game last season. Um, Wimsett for the sparingly <laughs> the amount he did play sparingly did not overwhelm to say the least. He finished nine of 21 for 45 yards and two interceptions uh, to go along with 68 yards rushing on nine carries. Rutgers completely revamping their offense. They grabbed four offensive linemen out of the portal with starting experience uh, from the likes of Colorado State, Louisiana, Minnesota, and Sacred Heart. They also added Syracuse' fifth all-time leading receiver in Taj Harris, who has nearly 2,000 career yards, and also a transfer at that position from West Virginia and Sean Ryan, who has over 1,000 career receiving yards. Uh, not, not to be fair, Eric Crickshank is still there, uh, and he can return, obviously, kicks and, and punts. Uh, and uh, so he's going to probably be their third wide receiver. And then H-back Johnny Langan, if you remember him as a fun player, okay. he lines up at Wildcat quarterback, fullback, tight end. He's, he's true H-back. But they did lose two of their best weapons in running back Isaiah Pacheco and wide receiver Bo Melton. Both were seventh-round draft picks. Um, so really, it's a lot of this is just hope on throwing an offensive line together out of the portal and a dual threat quarterback Does that sound like something no all too successful not good that not sounds good. like a mess uh on defense Rutgers is welcoming a new defensive coordinator joe harris uh and i might be saying that wrong but he's got a long last name in any, in any case he was the code dc last year at minnesota they also revamped that unit they got a new defensive line coach a new linebackers coach and a new uh, secondary coach as well uh and also the spring was not kind to Rutgers defense they lost uh, a few guys on their linebacker core including uh their top pass rusher each of the last two years Mohamed Toure uh and uh let's see they've got another guy that was expected um to Moses Walker was expected to okay. for a starting spot too they so they lost two guys there they also lost some depth in the transfer portal linebackers so they're pretty thin there they do run a 4-2-5 defense so that could keep some linebackers oh, off okay. the field anyway uh possibly three star Starting safeties in that secondary, obviously with the normal four-two-five, you've got a bit of a hybrid there. So a lot of teams are moving to that. Um, Max Melton is kind of a lockdown corner. Avery Young, uh, one of those safeties. Those guys could be next-level talent. They're, the secondary is certainly the strength of their team, but they also—it's not like an overwhelming strength. They only uh, had seven interceptions last season, so mm-hmm. that's something they're going to need to work on. The real strength is actually going to be their punter, Adam Korsak, who averaged forty-five point eight yards per punt, had zero touchbacks. And down the uh, thirty-eight of his seventy-two punts inside the twenty, so he is a real weapon. And unfortunately, they lost one of the best names in the Big Ten in kicker Valentina Ambrosio, who was pretty sturdy. Mm-hmm. He transferred to Tulane. Uh, I'm not sure why. <laughs> transferred from <laughs> Rutgers to Tulane. Yeah, I don't know who wins in that situation, but I, it certainly isn't Rutgers. Uh, they open up with Boston College before two gimme games, and they show up. Uh, start Big Ten play with Iowa and Ohio State. Uh, short week. Coming off of Ohio State going into uh, the Nebraska game. That's what we like to hear. Yeah. Nebraska will have been coming off a bye, I believe, the week before. All right. Not the, not the week before Rutgers, but the week before the week before Rutgers. So they got a little bit of a okay. little bit of break. They got, you know, it's not too bad there. For Rutgers, they're going to take their bye week after Nebraska. So they're going to be pretty gotcha. tired probably leading up to that Friday night game. Um, but in any case, uh, that Nebraska game actually looks like the break in uh, Rutgers schedule where maybe they could get a win because they have Indiana, uh, like I said, after that bye week. So they have 
Iowa, Ohio State, which is difficult. Nebraska, Indiana is probably being called their get you know their gettable games there in yeah. the middle. And then uh, and then you have Minnesota at Minnesota, Michigan at Michigan State, Penn State, and then at Maryland to round out the schedule. So it's going to be Dang. a difficult one. Nebraska is, in, is in gettable depth, for them. in depth at Rutgers. Yeah, How about that. Yeah, I, I knew that Noah Vedral wasn't going to be the presumptive favorite at starting quarterback. They're they're over win uh, win total odds. According to Vegas Insider, four and a half. Do you see yeah. five wins for Rutgers on the schedule? Uh, I mean, we got Wagner and at Temple, so that should Temple's be Temple's tough. Temple's tough. Boston College out of the gate. Is where? Okay, speaking of Temple, where's Manny Diaz? Manny Diaz is actually Penn State's defensive That's coordinator. That's right. He's Penn State's <laughs> defense. Okay, thank you. Which That's is why I, I don't do. expect. Well, no, I like Manny Diaz, but I don't expect uh, Penn State to do uh, too well this really? year. Really, you don't like you don't like. Penn State? Uh, no, there's just a, a lot of a lot of turnover there, um, and they couldn't. <laughs> they're one of those teams that could not run the ball last year, so they're certainly going to have to fix that. Um, but uh, man, defensive coordinator Manny Diaz, I yeah, forgot that he's I saw. Back. I forgot that I saw Manny Diaz at <laughs> at Penn State. But That's do you think? Insane. I mean, when you listen to Rutgers, and I, I, I know going through that break break uh, down wasn't uh-huh. too exciting. The Indiana one and the Northwestern one are even worse. Yeah. It makes you feel like, I mean, if you do lose one of those games, the pressure is going to be on. I said it leading into the break, um, you know, it would be as bad as Georgia Southern. It wouldn't be quite that bad, but it's not much better. I mean, you're you're talking about... Well, it's a conference win, I think. I I think it has more magnitude because it's a conference game. Well, it's a conference loss if you lose it, right? And, I mean, those are literally... um, I mean, we'll see. College football is crazy. Anything can happen. But that's the that's the that's the bottom. I mean, that's the bottom yeah. of the Big Ten that you're trying to fight out of. If you lose against these, these are probably the other bottom three teams exactly. in the league. Well, it's we talk about it's being a conference game, and there's a little bit more magnitude. Those are games that don't help you a whole lot if you win, but hurt you a whole lot if you lose. Yeah, but I mean, Nebraska can use almost any win this year. Any win's you're gonna right. feel like <laughs> like it's gonna be welcome yeah. after only winning three last year. Um, so. I think that there, I think there's some some interest to it. Obviously, with Nebraska just starting off the season, we do all these predictions and try to see where they, you know, where they're going to land. Unless you think they're they're going to either drop some of these games that they should win, uh, which wouldn't be too crazy, I suppose, given the past, or that they're just going to go on this massive losing streak down the line. That's why a lot of people are pretty excited and, and think that seven at least is attainable. Yeah, for the win total. Uh, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up with history loss lessons with Bach. We'll go back to the early 1900s. Uh, no more. Uh, oh, go ahead. Before we do this, Corey Lincoln says conference wins don't help you since when they do just, like a win on on against Indiana is not going to shine like uh, I'm saying like in the national eye either like it's not going to shine on the big stage. Nobody's going to point at Nebraska, Indiana if Nebraska wins by two touchdowns but but if indiana beats nebraska and you're talking about whether or not nebraska is on a fringe of a of an idaho potato bowl or a new era pinstripe bowl it's gonna hurt you a lot more like (laughs) that's that's what i'm talking about but either way too i mean nebraska's done a good job uh, scheduling wise of getting these games in front of the nation because indiana there's only so much you can do there but it's homecoming i think yeah and uh no and i mean you got week zero the eyes of the nation on northwestern and then that friday night game against rutgers so they're at least making him a little bit more interesting like i said we'll uh, be back with box history lessons coming up next